0: The number one financial destination, Yahoo dot com.
1: Hey, everyone, it's Patrick, uh, this is not the intro to a normal episode of Waypoint Radio. Um, This is actually something a little bit different. Uh, Like most of the country, uh, we've spent the last month processing the horror of yet another school shooting. But at the same time, admiring the incredible bravery of the student survivors from Parkland, Florida, rising up, demanding change, actually getting actionable change and making us think we can break this deadlock. And in the lead-up to the March of Our Lives event that's happening this weekend, Waypoint is publishing a series of stories this week about gaming's relationship with guns. Now, to be clear, we're not suggesting playing games, even violent games, causes real-life violence. And as Austin said in a piece earlier today, that doesn't mean that the way guns and violence were portrayed in our favorite hobby cannot test our consciousness or that we cannot be critical of their depiction. That's an important distinction I want to make sure that we're making clear. As people who play games, we often take the notion that games don't correlate to real life violence for granted. Like it's something we inherently know, it's been, oh, it's been studied and proven, but like in our gut like it well it doesn't happen to me, um and it hasn't happened to my friends. Like it's not a thing, right? But I wanted to know more about the actual science behind that statement. Like how do we get here? How do we travel from A to B? And to learn more, uh, I spoke with Villanova University professor of psychology, Patrick Markey, co-author of the 2017 book, Mortal Kombat, or the war on violent video games is wrong. It's a really fascinating conversation about how video games keep getting pulled into this misguided conversation, uh, what we actually know about the gaming habits of mass shooters, how academics Actually study the psychological and emotional impact games have on us and why this actual professor actually used to be someone who wondered if games could contribute negatively to our behavior in a way that should worry us. Apologies. uh, The audio quality of this interview is not uh, as great as some of our other stuff uh, because of the way it was recorded. Um... He was uh, calling in uh, on Skype on a phone uh, there's just a limited uh, amount of tweaking I could do to the audio so thanks to Danielle for doing whatever magic she could but uh, just know up front that it's not as nice as we'd like it to be but I still think it's an interesting conversation worth sharing and we even kind of touch on the future of sort of academic study of video games we touch on addiction and loot boxes that stuff is all pretty early but we at least get into that towards the end of the discussion so uh, we'll be back on Wednesday with a regular episode of Waypoint Radio uh, but until then enjoy my interview with uh, professor of psychology Patrick Markey. Hey Patrick. Hey another Patrick. <laughs> it's easy to remember. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How's it going?
0: Pretty good. How about with yourself?
1: I'm doing well. I appreciate you taking uh, some time to chat with me. Not a problem at all. Um, Where are you based out of again? I am at I'm at Villanova where I work right, at right, so right. I'm out
0: of Philadelphia. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
1: Oh you guys well? A lot of news coming out of Philadelphia in the last 24 hours.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, we definitely have lots of stuff going on. So it's very exciting. All Pennsylvania is very excited
1: right now. So. <laughs> um, well, I was hoping to just kind of start uh, by asking you, can you sort of introduce the book, why you were interested in writing uh, about video game violence and like what sort of started you down that path of trying to answer a question that's been explored in various ways over the decades?
0: Yeah, I mean, the book was written by me and uh, Chris Ferguson, who is also a research psychologist and actually clinical psychologist who's examined video games for decades. Um, And we were kind of trying to just put together everything we've done over the past, say, 10 years or so to kind of get a sense of uh, the general state of research in video games and kind of address the moral panic around video games And we really wanted to write the book for the general public. I mean, it's really geared towards the general public. It's scientifically based, and we have over 300 citations in it. Um, But one of the problems in academics is in academia, we end up talking to each other a lot and not with the general public. (laughs) Sure. And so that was kind of one of our goals with the the book is to kind of give um, our insight into what we think the research is telling us about video games.
1: And, and I guess like sort of let's start top level, like what did the research tell you? You know, like from the uh, what I was reading about, you know, the general takeaway is, you know, hey, games are uh, possibly good. But I imagine, you know, the, the actual answer is a little more complicated than that.
0: Yeah. Well, even within the field, there's a, um, a, a minority group of researchers that are really vocal about the potential negative effects of violent video games, whereas the vast majority of scholars don't think they pose societal harm. Um, And I think where the big disagreement comes in the two groups is what we're looking at and then what gets talked about in the press. And so the group that tends to think that violent video games have a negative effect typically examine kind of um, very mundane measures of regression, like giving too much hot sauce to a person or uh, exposing someone to an irritating noise. And in that kind of research, we do find that after a person plays a violent video game, immediately afterward, they kind of, display these kind of, if you will, jerky qualities. Um, Whereas the other group of researchers, we more examine horrific acts of violence, like actual homicides and aggravated assaults and things of that sort. And in that research, we actually don't find a link or we actually find the link goes in the opposite direction. And so I think the big error that gets made between these two camps and between politicians as well is taking the results that we find from these mundane forms of aggression, trying to generalize them to the broader or to the more serious forms of of aggression or of violence. And I think the the thing is both of those worlds can be true. And it's like almost all forms of media. That's probably what happens is violent video games have a short-term effect on us. So right when we're done playing it, our mood becomes elevated and we might be slightly more kind of, again, for lack of a better word, we're a little bit jerky right afterward, but that, goes away fairly quickly it's almost like going to a movie if you go and see a really sad movie um you're probably going to cry right afterward you're going to feel sad about it your mood's going to change but it's not going to make you clinically depressed suddenly so just like video games might alter our moods temporarily they're not fundamentally changing us as individuals
1: and it sounds like uh you actually you know the two of you actually play games yourself um like i, I imagine like that uh, was that helpful in like kind of going down this path like because uh, it seems like uh, you know this is an outside observer that a lot of times like whether it's the, the the studying of video games and their effects the commentary on video games and their effects often comes from a place of ignorance over how games themselves even work
0: yeah, we actually have research on that. That um, <laughs> it's a, so Your gut feeling's right. That uh, What actually has been found is that people who are older and don't play video games are the ones that are most suspicious of violent video games. And again, probably for good reason. If you just see a violent video game, they can be disturbing looking. So it's not crazy on why somebody might fear that type of media. Um, but yeah, no, I think that being a gamer i mean i don't think either chris or i are a huge gamer i mean we're both we have families and so mm-hmm. forth and you know getting older so we don't play as much as we used to. but we grew up in the world i mean i grew up in a 8-bit world um chris probably grew up in a 16-bit world <laughs> um, but we were surrounded by this media so it's not foreign to us i don't think we naturally fear it as opposed to somebody who might not have grown up surrounded by it
1: yeah, and I, you know, to, to your point, I, I think that's you know, the you know, this recent White House meeting and the the video that they uh, sort of prepared to kind of. Showcase some of the the violent imagery that's in video games. You know, as someone that you know is is you know technically a, a journalist and a critic, uh, you know, in the the field of, of video games, I still often find myself in that sort of defensive posture when trying to explain video games to people who either don't play a lot of them or only are exposed to the Call of Duties of the world that are very popular and often involve guns and violence. And you know, as uh, you know, the the video that the White House repaired, as uh, you know, although I don't think that represents the medium, I you know, that's also very intrinsically part of video games. And I I have a hard time explaining sometimes to folks that aren't super well versed in video games, like, I mean, that is part of video games, like, those violent that violence is in those games, people are are pulling the triggers on that stuff, you know, but uh, yeah, it's a little more complicated than just you know what the imagery might suggest, but it's certainly,
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's okay. And I think people get these things put uh, confused a lot. It's okay to be morally offended by violent video games, (laughs) to find them repulsive, to not want to play them. It's another thing than to say, therefore, it probably causes mass homicides. That, I mean, one, we have science to suggest that isn't true. Um, They just don't go together. It doesn't necessarily have to go together, I should say, that it's perfectly fine. And again, I'm a parent. I don't let my children play violent video games. And I don't do that because I'm worried it's going to make them be school shooters. I do that because they're younger children. I'm kind of trying to protect them from that imagery and mm-hmm. so forth. I don't want them to have bad dreams. So there's lots of reasons that might be perfectly legitimate to not like violent video games. Um, and all we really focus on is the science of that's fine, but is it because they cause homicides or is it just because you find them morally you know, offensive? Um, and as I said, the science simply does not suggest that they're linked to uh these horrific acts of violence
1: uh at the same time like I think it's presumptuous to assume that you know video games have no effect in the same way that anything that we you know any experiences we have in life impact us one way or the other sometimes positively sometimes negatively. I'm curious like in your research did, like w- did you stumble upon anything that suggests like some of the downsides of, of video games things that are worrying that are maybe not related necessarily to the outright question of you know mass violence?
0: I mean, probably the biggest issue is desensitization, but that's the one that gets discussed the most. And there is some evidence that suggests violent video games do desensitize us to violence. But it's actually a very important caveat to that. It only desensitizes us to video game violence. So if you're a gamer and you see that montage from the White House, you don't even blink an eye. (laughs) If you're not a gamer and you saw that montage, oh, my goodness, (laughs) you're going to be freaked out. And that's because as gamers, we're desensitized. But now if you're a gamer and I actually – we know this from research and I actually show you real images of a person actually being killed, you're going to be just as disturbed as a non-gamer. And so, yes, we do become desensitized to video game violence. But again, it's not as if we're becoming desensitized to real-world violence. Now, the question is as graphics and video games become more realistic, will that suddenly shift over and suddenly we will become desensitized to real-world violence? We don't know yet. We haven't reached that point yet. Um, our guesses as researchers that it's probably not going to happen simply because we, as technology has advanced, we haven't seen desensitization to become more um, as as graphics have become better. Mm-hmm. So it's almost as if perhaps inside of our brains we have some kind of switch when we know we're playing something that's not real, as opposed to something that is real. Um, so when you're playing a video game, you're well aware it's not real. Um, and so that might prevent us to become desensitized from something real. But we don't know yet. I guess bottom line is if graphics and virtual reality become so immersive, perhaps we'll hit that point. Mm-hmm. But at this point, we don't seem to have hit that point for desensitization.
1: Uh, I have to imagine, you know, as someone that, you know, grew up at least around video games, like you had sort of a working knowledge of what it was like to play them and and what it means to interact with a, a violent video game on some level. Um my presumption would be that you, uh, went, you went in with the idea that maybe I'd, – did you go with the idea that video games did not cause violence, and were there things along the way that surprised you or sort of challenged some of your views, even if what you ultimately came away from was, you know, there isn't this link to, to mass violence that is sometimes uh, – Yeah.
0: No, actually, I, I went in with the exact opposite. So oh, okay. I went in, I went in as my – if you look at my first studies I did, again, about a decade ago, They are these studies looking at mundane forms of aggression. Um, These were questionnaires like, do you feel hostile? Um, And violent video games. And so I was finding these links between right after you play a violent video game, your mood is temporarily changed. Um, And the early articles, I even talk about school shootings and so forth in the context of my findings. So I was very much into the camp of it. But then what happened was Sandy Hook. Um, After Sandy Hook, I suddenly got inundated with calls from reporters and politicians and so forth using my research as a suggestion that that's what CODs did. And it made me really reflect on the generalizability of my findings, that can we really take the stuff we've done in the lab and actually relate it to horrific acts of violence, like school shootings. And so that's when we started to actually look at real acts of violence, like homicides, aggravated assaults, and so forth, um, because it was a much more direct comparison. And it was through that investigation that or at least I started to change my mind on whether or not we should be using what we use in the laboratory or using what we find in the laboratory to suggest there's actually a link between real acts of violence.
1: Can you, uh, you know, I imagine uh, a lot of folks like myself, they don't really understand like what it means, like, uh, when something plays out in the lab, like, can you walk me through a little bit of how you actually end up measuring this stuff? Like what things you're looking for? Um, like, uh, like, I'm just curious how that actual uh, yeah sort of I happened.
0: I can pull back the curtain and show you how <laughs> how, how it's made it, it's not it's not how people typically think so I'm just I'll talk about how a typical video game study is there's sure. always nuances to all of it right 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 but the typical video game study done in the laboratories we take participants in and they're separated um, and one flip of a coin a person will play a violent video game or a non-violent video game and they try to match the games on all kinds of things like how exciting they are and things of that sort so they try to make it so the only difference is is the violence in the game then after they're done playing the game they usually go do something else that they think is related to another study and these are things that people have done things like they'll have them make um food and they see and they know they're making food for a person who doesn't like spicy food and they have hot sauce there, and they see how much hot sauce do they put in the food. And they weigh the hot sauce to see how much hot sauce do they put in the food. <laughs> they do things like um, have them play a game against another person after they're done with the video game. And if they win, they're allowed to blast that person with a really loud, irritating noise, like static, basically. Um, and they see how long do they hold down the button or how high do they turn up the volume. Or they'll just ask them afterward, you know, do you feel aggressive? Um, you know, do you feel hostile? Um things of that sort. So these these very proxy measurements of aggression. That they're not really direct measures. And in most of those situations across a lot of the studies, you do tend to find these very um, slight increases in aggressive behaviors. They're not dramatic, though. It's not like a person's dumping out the hot sauce in a person's taco. It's just <laughs> a very tiny increase. Now, its it tends to be consistent, but it's very tiny. Um, and so that's how a typical lab study does. And again, those are the types of studies that many people are taking to try to generalize to school shootings. And that's where I think that we we're overstepping our data when we do that.
1: Uh you know, one of the the, the counters that people have said when, you know, there have been uh uh sort of a suggestion that like, oh like if video games are uh, you know, causing uh, uh, violence amongst, uh, you know, people that play them. Like, why does not that happen? you know, in other countries? Lots of, you know, ev- the whole world plays video games. But I'm wondering if you've, in your research, have you noticed any different trends or anything different, like, between, like, what happens in America and what happens in, in other countries? Like, is there, is there anything you've noticed in terms of, like, the behavior of, of people that, like, differs based on, like, where they're actually playing them?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, what, one thing we found is that the countries that play, that consume video games games the most often actually tend to be the safest countries in the world. <laughs> um, and that's even after we control for all types of variables. You know, we, you find this correlation. And right, correlation doesn't mean causation. There's some third variable that might be causing it. So our job is to try to break it, to put in as many variables as we can think of that might be explaining that relationship. And we haven't been able to, that no matter what we try to control for, it always stays negative. It never becomes positive. Um, And by by negative, I mean the countries that consume the most violent uh, video games are the safest ones. Um, It never flips and goes in the other direction. And so one way to – I mean one of the issues when you look across countries is we're putting a lot of variables to control, but it's really hard to control for all kinds of things that make countries different from each other. There's so many variables. So the other thing we try to do is look inside of one specific country across time. And so we've done that with the United States And so we've done things like look at annual changes in video game sales and violent crime. We find it's negative. Again, as video games become more popular, it's become safer. We've even examined when people are playing video games, violent video games, and changes in crime. So monthly changes and how often people are playing it and monthly changes in crimes. And we find that those months people are playing video games are the safest months. And we even look at release dates. So we look at release dates of, say, Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto, the two games that tend to get lumped most often. Mm -hmm. And we find right after those games are released, we tend to find dips in violent crime. Um, So if anything, the link when we look at real violent crime, homicides and aggravated assaults, tends to be that when people are playing video games, specifically violent video games, that you're actually safer than when they're not playing them.
1: I'm curious what some of the reaction to the book has been like, have you, have you gotten any pushback from, you know, some of the, the researchers who are maybe still in the camp of like, well, you know, well, actually we believe it actually is doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and like what has been the general response to the book so far?
0: Sure. I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right that there's definitely pushback from the, the vocal group of researchers who who don't like the notion that video games, uh, we're, we're trying to claim video games don't cause violence. In fact, they actually might be making the world safer in a weird way. Um, But there's really no criticism of our research itself. It's usually more just pointing to the laboratory studies that Mm -hmm. they'll say, well, we have all these laboratory studies that say this thing. And again, our response is that's fine. I think those two data, these two fields can exist with each other. The idea that video games momentarily might make us slightly more aggressive right after we're done playing them, but they don't fundamentally change us as people. Um, I mean, I think probably the part that's gotten the most – uh, discussion, especially recently, is our analysis of actual school shooters. Um, so here in the early 2000s, the U.S. Secret Service did an uh, analysis of school shooters, basically a profile analysis mm-hmm. of what's a typical school, sh- school shooter like. And then for our book, we did school shooting since they did it. And we actually find the same results. It doesn't matter if it's the Secret Service data or our data. And what we actually find is school shooters are actually less likely to play violent video games than the average high school student. Um, So about 70 percent of high school, male high school students um, play violent video games, whereas school shooters, it's closer to 20 percent. And so it actually goes in the exact reverse direction of what the narrative typically is of of school shooters being video game players. Um, And I think that's been the one that's, that's kind of caught people most off guard.
1: I think it's most. I I would imagine a lot of people have stuck in their minds Columbine and like Columbine. You know they, you know found that they played a lot of Doom, which was Mm -hmm. you know in you know in the '90s like you know looked upon as uh, you know the particular game that people were harping on as uh, sort of fitting in this like violent video game, violent person mold. And I think you know you do any if you were to go back and look at like research or what people were talking about about you know in the context of Columbine, like Doom always. like comes up like it was a I remember I was you know nine years old at the time when that happened like I played a lot of video games like I was playing Doom at the time and my parents didn't end up taking it away from me but it was certainly like a conversation that was had and it seems like it's just become one of those sort of like regular talking points that um, like seems like seemingly largely attributable To the conversation on Columbine and it's just kind of gotten stuck as we've gone along and people look for things to explain when there's a new shooting and there's no actual information and and all you can look up is what they've done on the internet uh, or what's on their computer.
0: Yeah, and you're absolutely right that we tend to remember the cases that fit our narrative. We have this illusionary correlation. So we remember Columbine. We might remember Sandy Hook and things of that sort. The ones that fit our narrative, the ones that don't fit our narrative, we don't relate to it. We tend to forget about. And so we create this false impression that there's a relationship. And even the ones we tend to think relate to it actually don't relate as much as we think. So certainly Columbine, they played Doom and they played Doom a lot. But if we look at other cases like Sandy Hook, that's a prime example where It's often said that he, you know, obsessed about violent video games and played them all the time. He definitely owned Call of Duty. There's no doubt he owned it. But, again, it was this million-unit seller. It's not surprising that (laughs) Ellison Mill owned it. But actually what we know from what he was doing up until the the killings is – Based on the GPS in his car, he kept going to this movie theater. It was unclear why he kept going to it. But what it turned out was the reason why he kept going to the movie theater was to play Dance Dance Revolution every single day. <laughs> so, like, if he had an Jeez. obsession with games, yeah. it was Dance Dance Revolution. Even interviews with his friends or his peers, uh, when they a- when they were asked about his favorite game, they report his favorite game was Super Mario Brothers. So, I mean, he played video games, again, like most adolescents do. But the games he obsessed about were not these ones that we tend to link to violent crime. Um, and then there are other cases like uh, Virginia Tech is another great example, which still falsely gets associated with violent crime or with uh, uh, violent video games. And what's interesting about Virginia Tech is that one, the um, uh, shooter actually ha- owned no video game systems, had no games at all, which is really unusual for a student going to Virginia Tech. Right. Um, in fact, his roommates even commented at the time that they thought it was weird that he didn't play video games. Um, And that narrative we kind of find with actually school shooters that what we tend to find with them is they do things that aren't normative of their peers. And one of the things uh, right now for adolescent males, at least, is playing violent video games. Again, 70 percent of them play it, that it's a normative activity. So as parents, we might not be thrilled that our kids are playing Grand Theft Auto. And, you know, maybe we might keep it from a, for some reason, but it's a normal activity for them to do. And one thing we know about people who are psychologically healthy is they tend to do the things that their peers do. And so what we might be seeing is the reason why school shooters might not play violent video games that much isn't that violent video games make us safer or anything like that. It's simply that they're a normative activity that healthy kids do. And so when a kid doesn't do that, it might be a red flag.
1: Were there other instances of sort of like... Narrative contradictions that you found uh, along the way that the way we talk about um, video games, we talk about violence, the way we talk about sort of mass violence and mass shootings that like also like flipped in the other direction uh, in the same way that the the profiles did.
0: Yeah, there's certainly similar ones. I mean, I think the other thing is just mass shootings in general. So if we can expand it out of school shootings and take, you know, the Colorado movie theater shooting um, that that one often gets linked to video games as well. But the problem is with those types of things is you're only picking ones that fit your narrative. So if, we're, if we can use any mass shooting, say, then we should also look at the Las Vegas shooting. Did he play video games? We should look at, you know, the San Bernardino shooting. Did they play video games? And again, the issue is that very often we pick and choose. Specifically, we tend to pick the ones that are adolescent males and we say, aha, they played video games. But if they're older or if they're females, we don't ever say, oh, they didn't play video games, that we only focus on the ones that tend to fit our narrative. get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order that's quince.com slash upgrade
1: how much have you uh found or can you speak to like how much is this a perpetuation of like sort of like ignorant media reports or is this more rooted in law enforcement like is or is it a mixture of the two like Uh, I'm curious if you found sort of patterns on like why these points have like stuck, why video games kind of come up as sort of a top line, like how do we explain what happened? What were they doing? Like, is this more the media looking to explain and provide information in a 24 hour cable news network environment? Or is this more something that's happening in the investigative side? Uh, Yes, (laughs) it's all of those. I mean, this
0: is it's it's a moral panic. And so we've seen this before. We saw this comic books in the 50s with rock music in the 80s, Dungeons and Dragons, all that stuff. Exact same pattern happens that basically what happens is the media will hype up a link between X and Y violent video games and school shootings. And then typically, which would be a natural reaction, we get upset and worried about that which causes politicians to kind of focus on it, which causes them to create research money to fund it, which creates usually scholars who are willing to kind of examine it and maybe, you know, extend their findings more than it should be, which then causes it back into the media, picking up those findings. It's is kind of this vicious circle that ends up happening. Um, so yeah, it's, it's everything that it's the video game issue. It's funny. When we wrote our book a year ago, we were so nervous that well not nervous, we were kinda happy. We thought, oh my gosh, no one's gonna want to buy this because who talks about violent video games and school shootings anymore? Right? It were right. In fact, that was some of the early reviews that came out, that was one of their criticisms was like, you know, interesting book, but who cares anymore? <laughs> to the we party. This debi- yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And so it's we were kinda like, Oh, oh well, you know, I guess that's good that, you know, we're over it. Um, but apparently not. You know, it just takes A horrific tragedy and suddenly me and my co-author end up getting talking to different people which is sad that that's that's the time that that you know we end up talking to individuals is because of this this link that's a myth um so yeah i mean it's basically just another moral panic that's happening you know when video games are done when we finally are done with them and linking them to school shootings, um, it's going to be another boogeyman that it'll just be, you know, it's going to be virtual reality. It's going to be smartphones. It's going to be some new technology that ends up getting linked to, you know, all these negative outcomes. Uh,
1: And and it's kind of curious, the one thing that uh, you mentioned that uh, it sounds like, you know, when some of the first research was happening into sort of like the causal links uh, or potential causal links of video games and violence were... Grant like were the result of research grants that came because politicians were like feeding into this cycle. And so, do is it possible that the the reason there was as much research as there was uh, that looked at the potential negative effects was like has a causal relationship with like oh we've got to do something. And so maybe video games are a bad thing, but the only money that's available is actually for looking into the negative effects as opposed to a more holistic or or positive uh, correlation approach.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. In fact, one of the things that's probably the most clear indication is research done pre and post Columbine on video games. So if we look at pre Columbine, there were uh, eight studies, I think, that were done on video games and and violence. Post Columbine, we get into the hundreds, now we're into the thousands of studies that have been done. Um, So I mean, yeah, you definitely have these events. And researchers then try to link their findings to these horrific events. And it's done for multiple reasons. It's done as researchers. We want our research to be important, so we're trying to. It's much more exciting as a researcher to say our research predicts horrific acts of violence than to say our research predicts, you know, hot giving the person hot sauce. Um, and again, <laughs> right. I. As and again, I committed the sin as a researcher, so I mean I'm not necessarily casting stones. I understand it. Hey, I'm, that,
1: I'm someone that, that writes on the internet and gets accused of clickbait all the time. So I, it sounds with, yeah. so we have similar. You know, you want to write something that people are interested in and are talking about. And is so I want to believe me. I, I I I understand you more than more than you think.
0: Right. Well, I mean, but one of the issues now, though, is as scholars in my in my field, we really should know better at this point that we've matured as a field, that we have more evidence, as I said, even these lab studies I'm talking about, there's been a lot of people who have not even been able to replicate our effects. So it's even questionable if the effects are real. Um, so I, I'm i willing to say they might be small, but now there's even research that suggests it might be zero, even these minor effects. Um, and so we really need to know, because I think one thing I've learned is it becomes dangerous to make these links. That what ends up happening is exactly what we saw happen in D.C. with the meeting, is it takes our eye off of what might be the real causes of these horrific acts of violence. That as scholars, we want to make our world safer. As humans, we want to make our world safer. And one of the dangers we run into is if we sensationalize our findings beyond the data, that it ends up focusing the politicians and other people might focus on those issues rather than trying to tackle... The real causes of these horrific acts of violence. Uh,
1: when I was reading some sort of like comments and reviews uh, uh, about your book, like one of the sort of like common refrains was uh, something that you mentioned earlier, like the specific way it was written and the, the the phrasing, the language. It was very approachable, and like several people were talking about how they were fans of video games, but often run into trouble explaining to you know folks of the older generation or folks that don't play video games, like how to how to pitch it to them as like, well, here's why they're okay, or here's, you know, here's why this is different than what you're assuming uh, or thinking, and it sounds like part of your book was, like, trying to give even just video game fans or enthusiasts, uh, like, a language or a way of phrasing, like, here's actually, like, what's actually going on here, Um, because I think that's something that's been missing for a lot of people that want to defend or explain video games, but don't necessarily know how to go about it, especially if you're talking to someone that either is coming to it from a place of... Uh, already a preconceived notion or just isn't interested in like playing them to understand it themselves?
0: Yeah, I mean, that wasn't our goal initially in the book, but it's definitely where the data led us, that there's no doubt that the data has that um, conclusion to it, or you can conclude that from the data, that video games really are games at the end of the day. Um, They don't necessarily change people for bad. They don't necessarily change us for good. I mean, we actually have a whole chapter where we talk about the false beliefs of you know, brain training and all of these types of things that at the end of the day, video games are games that they don't fundamentally change who we are as individuals.
1: Uh, And as a kind of bringing this to a conclusion, I'm curious, like where do you think the research is going in the next 10 years? Like I know a very hot button topic in uh, video games in the last year or two has been this discussion over, uh, these things called loot boxes, and sort of like the implementation of gambling mechanics into video games, and whether that's going to lead to legislation, if that's been under research. I'm curious uh, if you have any thoughts on either that specifically, or just where like video game research is going in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think right now, I mean, except for these last couple of weeks, right now the big issue in video games is video game addiction, and whether or not that's a real thing or not. It's somewhat related to loot boxes. I think of loot boxes. When the idea of video game addiction came about, we weren't really talking about loot boxes at the time. That's mm-hmm. kind of a different animal. Um, but the idea of can you become addicted to video games like you can, you know, to gambling or any other behavioral addiction that we sometimes talk about. Um, and that seems to be at least that was the dominant narrative, you know, this past year and really right now, except for, you know, these last couple weeks. Um, and so I, I think that's going to be our next um, issue with video games.
1: Do you do you have any sense of like where the research like sits on that right now? Yeah. Again,
0: so not discussing loot boxes. Loot boxes, right, right. From a research standpoint, are so new to us that I, I don't know if we know if how to deal with them as far as <laughs> what, what <laughs> how they to research are. Research them yet? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard to figure it out. Um, but as far as video game addiction itself, the research is pretty um, uh, uh, suggested that if it exists, it isn't really a problem. Uh, there's a giant study that came out of Oxford where they examined people using the criteria that um, the um, American Psychiatric Association was kind of laying forward for a potential way to diagnose it. And they found that people who were diagnosed by this criteria were actually just as psychologically healthy, just as physically healthy, just as emotionally healthy as individuals who weren't diagnosed as it. So the idea that someone can play a lot of video games or be addicted to video games eh, may or may not be true. But If that addiction doesn't mean anything, if it doesn't seem to actually change an individual, if it doesn't make them less happy, make their peers less – their friends less happy, right now it's suggestive that perhaps it's not real, um, that it might not go anywhere. Um, There's a lot of debate on this though. I mean certainly I think our field is kind of divided down the middle right now on – whether or not people think it's a real addiction or whether it's not a real addiction. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next year. I mean, data are still coming in on it. So I don't think we totally know yet.
1: And then, uh, you know, other than uh, checking out uh, um, your book, Mortal Kombat, like where else can people kind of like follow what you're up to, like where your future research might uh, uh, pop up? Like where else can people uh, continue to follow your work?
0: Yeah, I mean, on Twitter, I'm at Pat Markey. Um, and that's easy, the easiest place. From there, you can go to all of the stuff that we do in our lab and things that we're doing as well. Um, and I tend to tweet on video game stuff, research, the science part of video games, uh, quite a bit. So that's the best place to probably see what we're up to.
1: Cool. Well, Patrick, I super appreciate the times. This has been really interesting and enlightening. As close as I try to follow this stuff, like uh, this has been uh, really enlightening and interesting. Great. Thanks so much. Cool. All right. Take care. Thanks, Pat. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.